0: This is Being Better, the podcast about the science behind mindsets and practices that make us happier, wiser and healthier. My name is Julia Sport and I am your host. Join us as each week we break down scientific research and bring you true stories of people from all walks of life to help you make better decisions that will shape your tomorrow. continue with the podcast please straighten your posture take three deep breaths smile to a stranger or smile to yourself so yeah now that you're in a good mental and physical space I really want to introduce you to my lovely guest Krista Couch who is a recovered bulimic certified life coach and podcaster. Uh, You might know her as the binge eating coach on the internet. She sees her purpose as leading people to a life free of binge eating and through various methods and practices she guides her clients to understand why they do the things they do and then helps them rewrite their eating patterns, to establish and strengthen their relationship with food. My personal journey towards truly healthy eating, not this, you know, quote-unquote healthy eating that's actually some dieting bullshit, Um, my journey towards Real healthy eating has been a rocky one and I'm sure it is for many people as well. That's why I thought that this episode might be helpful to anyone feeling like they have lost themselves in the cycle of restricting and binging or detoxing and then eating highly processed foods. So Chris and I sat down to chat and create this welcoming and really non-judgmental space where we can exchange our Experiences and learn from one another and explore this topic that is so important and so influential in all of our lives. I mean, we all eat and we all want to eat things that are good for us, but also we all want to enjoy food, and that is completely fine. I feel like this is something that a lot of people forget in healthy eating that truly enjoying what you have in front of you it is also a part of a healthy diet so krista and i talked about why so many of us have lost ourselves in the cycle of binging and restricting and what can we do to get out of that cycle we talked about our relationship with food and how actually for a lot of people our approach to food is truly like a separate relationship with uh, with another, you know, human. We talked about what you should do when you have found yourself after a binge, um, what you should do to avoid and really deal with the feeling of guilt and disappointment. And of course, we talked about mindful eating, which is kind of like the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, because I've been exploring that for um, a couple of months now. And I am really a big Fan of, of this method and this approach and we kind of break down what it is and why is it important and, and I think that is a really helpful practice to cure your relationship with food. We also discussed emotional eating and how actually it can be helpful and there might be a place for it in a healthy approach to food and I don't think we should condemn it or criticize it as much as, as we do in our society. And also, we talked about how to get food off our minds and not let it, you know, kind of control all of our lives and and also the dangers of intermittent fasting because I think this is a big topic right now, but a lot of people just focus on the good sides of it and, and actually there are some dangers. So there are so many things that, that we discussed that I feel like can be so helpful, are definitely helpful to me. I hope that you will find it interesting as well so please sit back relax or continue walking or continue doing whatever you are doing take three deep breaths and enjoy my discussion with Krista don't worry about anything um I just wanted to say thank you for coming and joining me today I have been thinking about our approach to food like as a as Homo sapiens, a lot recently, I've been like trying to improve my own relationship with it. And I was thinking about mindful eating a lot. And through that, I realized that, right, actually, what we have with food is actually a relationship. It's like another relationship in our lives. And it can be healthy, it can be toxic, it can be kind of uh, abusive in a way. Um, and uh, it's so funny because, like, I think in my mind it's it's yeah it's kind of like it's another person I don't know if it makes sense you know I think because there's so much around
1: diet culture and the way that we're taught to think about food and our bodies it can feel like it's something that's so indoctrinated to think about food a certain way and it can be something that is a relationship because sometimes that relationship can be really toxic. It can be something where food and your relationship to food can be something that takes up such a big space in your life and takes a toll on you. Mm. And it can also be something that's just like a really loving relationship if you think of just like a healthy relationship between people. It's like they're supporting each other. They help each other become... The next best version of themselves. They're constantly helping each other evolve, and like to me, that's what the goal is with that relationship with foods. So I do think it's a relationship, and I like that way of thinking about it.
0: Yeah, and it's like I I realize that that relationship must be like developing, like from the moment we are, you know, just babies. And and I realized that it's developing through such like small details, like things that we observe, like even I think a lot of uh, people, especially young women, I think can develop problems with eating just because they observed their mothers having unhealthy patterns with maybe restricting and stuff. And I'm curious, since I know that, you know, you're going to be a mom um, soon, how are you thinking about um you know, helping your child develop this healthy relationship uh, with food? Mm -hmm.
1: It's something I've thought about for a long time, long before I even knew when I'd have kids, because when I was doing my own healing and my relationship with food, I learned a lot about how to help a kid have a better relationship with food. And so there's a lot that we can do to help teach a kid just to listen to their body, be in tune with their body from a young age. So their ability to listen to their body and listen to what their body really wants isn't being interfered with by all sorts of things like feeling like they're doing food wrong or they're messing things up. And so one of the most important things for me and the way that I've thought about raising this child is I wanna make sure that I'm intentional and really think through the way I'm speaking about food. I don't want to talk about food as if it's something to be feared or something that we can do wrong. It's just, how are you listening to your body? Like, what is your body telling you to do? Learning to ask questions like that. And it's something that I'm going to have to learn because I haven't been a parent yet. I've been around kids, but I haven't had my own kids yet. But I am excited for the opportunity to break some generational cycles of my yeah. family who've dieted throughout their lives or had maybe not a great relationship with food at least at some point in their life.
0: Mm, I think it can be a wonderful opportunity, like when you have a child that I, I assume that it can be a wonderful opportunity to like rethink and rewrite your own patterns. Like, doesn't have to be with food, like, with everything. You can just, like, I think maybe start fresh. And I agree with you that our bodies inherently know, like, when to eat, when to stop eating. And um, and that's why I am curious and I want to ask you, um, why do you think we can lose that touch with our bodies, and um, we can lo- lose ourselves in this cycle of binging and restricting, and eating past the moment when we're full, or not—no, um, not eating um, when we're hungry. And I think, like some of us, so so many of us, actually, we lose uh, this, uh, like lose touch with this, with this voice, mm-hmm. uh, in our, that our body has uh, yes. with regards to food. There's a
1: lot of factors in this, but one of the things that's the biggest is when it comes to diets and food guidelines, we're taught to treat food like math like we're little calculators that the you need to put the right amount in and take the right amount out with like exercise and how active you are, and it's something that. There's so many rules put upon us with food. So for me, I when I was young, my parents would encourage months without sugar or like processed sugars or to do certain things. And there was so many rules that I learned around food. And I see that a lot with my clients. They started at a young age where there was just a right way to do food and there was a wrong way. And even in the education system here in the United States a lot of people will take health classes and stuff that encourage calorie counting and putting numbers and
0: oh i didn't that, realize that yeah that it's not- like and it's encouraged i knew that it, like yeah. in the us there are like um cal- calorie labels even like in like restaurants or something mm-hmm. and and i was pretty shocked about that but i didn't know that it was encouraged in in, in kids yeah, so hmm. not a young
1: kids, but the, you start to get to that middle school, high school age, which is like here it's like twelve to eighteen ish, <laughs> and yeah. there's that's when I was started beginning to be introduced to things like calorie counting, and I started counting calories when I was about twelve. That's when I started to use things like My Fitness Pal later on, or I'd just have like a notebook under my bed where I'd write down the calories of everything that I ate and so instead of learning during such an important time of life where you're going through puberty your body's changing so much I was growing so much instead of learning to work with my body I was learning to treat it like a calculator and so losing control and trying to regain the control in extreme way was the cycle that I was going through. And what was never taught to me is how to listen to my body and trust my body to tell me what it needs. And there's so many things that our bodies do to communicate what they need. Our bodies have hormones and things going on that help regulate everything that they need. So when we're trying to lower our weight, our body's like, hey, we're trying to get back to this set point that you have where we want to be here. This is where you're healthy and where you just were. And it can be the same when you're gaining weight. Your body can be like, oh, okay, we're we're good. And it releases leptin and there's less of a desire for food. Food doesn't sound as good anymore. We've probably all experienced that at some point where you've eaten a big meal and then just food doesn't sound good for an extra Long, yeah. long time if you think about like we have thanksgiving here in the united states so it's like notorious for overeating a lot of people <laughs> explain that for just like oh yeah i ate thanksgiving dinner and then mm. I for the rest of the day so when we stop learning how to trust our bodies when we stop learning how to work with our bodies and start learning to treat them as calculators it only makes sense that it starts to become this game of Trying to regain the control and then losing the control, and then trying even harder to regain the control and then losing the control. And that's because our bodies aren't meant to be controlled. If you think about that relationship analogy, a controlling relationship isn't a healthy
0: relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I think it kind of makes me sad that something so good with such a potential, something that is pretty much the reason why we're alive you know fuel that allows us to run to travel to be with people to you know laugh to you know create and um do so many th- amazing things that this thing with such a positive potential is something that causes so much suffering in people and and I think that we shouldn't um blame anyone in particular um especially all of those people who are so lost in their relationship with food. I I don't know, when I was a kid and I was listening to stories about people with anorexia or something, I always had a such a ne- negative... I was very judgmental, I think. And I was thinking, how how can you do that? What is wrong with those people? And now I'm just like, how can you kind of not be in this, in this world uh, that is so focused on... Um, on the appearance but I think like it kind of goes beyond the appearance factor I think like you said it's kind of about the control Um, and I think with me um, and my like history with that I think the moment when I had the most unhealthy patterns with uh, with food and, and and body image was just it wasn't even about me wanting to achieve some sort of a thing just like the like feeling of I am controlling this I can decide when I am eating, when I'm when I'm not eating, and it's up to me. It's not up to my body; it's up to me. I think it's kind of uh, satisfying in a way, which is crazy. Like even like I never I never realized that.
1: Yeah, and you touched on something there that I think is so common in so many people's experience with food is that in some way it is a tool to process emotion. So whether it's like you're feeling overwhelmed in life or you feel like there's a lot of things that you're uncertain about. I think that's so common and like, the very common age to struggle with food is like 18-ish to like mid-20s because there's so much uncertainty in life. There's so many question marks and unknowns. And so processing those emotions by controlling something And having something else take up your brain space can be kind of a relief. And so there are so many different ways that food can serve to help us process emotions in maybe not the healthiest way. But it is something that makes so much sense. And I think that what you touched on with the judgment piece, when we can release a judgment not only for other people... But most importantly for ourselves, especially if it's like you were thinking as a young kid, like, oh, why would anybody ever struggle with that? And then you did. It can be so important to work through that yeah. judgment and release that judgment. So that is something that I think is so important.
0: Yeah, like, again, I think these days or I guess, you know, in, in, the, in the, this culture, emotional eating has been so demonized. I guess through diet culture is like for sure, like, oh, you shouldn't come back when you're tired after work and just, you know, grab a pint of ice cream. You should process your emotions in like a quote unquote healthy way. But right now when I'm kind of trying to rebuild and rethink my approach, I was thinking that well, there is a there is something to emotional eating and it's like it's there for a reason. And it's a if you think about it historically, food is such a source of comfort. And like, you know, it's very often it makes this thing about family. And it's the way a lot of people say, I love you, like your mom or your grandma or your father, you know, making soup when you're sick, or those, you know, celebrations. And I feel like there is such a comforting power to food and it can help us deal, you know, even with with uh, breakups, which is such a stereotype. But I, I think it kind of makes me angry now that we have demonized a thing that has this, such a like a mm-hmm. healing power, you know. Yeah.
1: And I think that that's something that when you don't trust your body, when you feel like there's things that you can do wrong with food, it's also hard to let that be an enjoyable experience when we think of emotional eating a lot of times it people are thinking of like really rebellious types of emotional eating that like people are betraying themselves in order to numb some emotions where they're making themselves feel really physically uncomfortable or denying what their bodies are asking for and what i think about when it comes to emotional eating is there's so many different types of emotional eating there's celebrations and eating at a celebration there's eating just because it's like oh it's been a long day and this specific thing sounds good but at the same time the big difference is when emotional eating is really like a self-betrayal type of rebellious eating it doesn't feel in control Mm. it doesn't feel possible to make intentional choices think about times when I eat emotionally, it still feels like I can make a choice. It doesn't feel like, oh, I have no choice but to eat this ice cream right now. It's like, okay, I'm eating this ice cream because it's hot outside and it sounds so good and I'm tired. Some ice cream sounds good, but it's like, oh, I can choose how much I want. I can listen to my body as I eat and none of that feels exhausting or impossible to do.
0: Mm, that is such a good point like I was uh I never thought about it but I guess in those situations when you are you know eating like emotional eating however where you when you like lose all the control I think very often it can actually be like a kind of like a self-harm mechanism like um because you're doing it you're not enjoying it because you are kind of stressed and not controlling anything and it's very chaotic and then you're guilty And then you feel like you you can, like, talk shit about yourself because you have this reason now. And uh, I think it can be, like, a very self-destructive habit. And what do you think are, like, some of the first steps that people can take uh, when they found themselves after... A binge, for example, whether that be an emotional one or just purely because they've been restricting, or for all reasons, I think a lot of us have found ourselves in like that situation, um, once at least once in our lives. Uh, so, what do you think are like the the first steps, like when you've like you know regained that sense of like, whoa, this is happening. I ate so much. Uh, what do you think we should um, do? In order to not punish ourselves further.
1: Yeah. Well, part of what's important here is to understand that it's human and normal to eat more than was necessary or that our bodies needed. That part isn't a problem. But something usually happens or there's some pattern there that's leading to you eating or somebody eating to the point of physical discomfort so if we just let our brains go where they want to go can be like so much shame guilt shutting down distracting planning a diet for tomorrow like tomorrow I'll be better (laughs) and having some relief in that temporarily but the most powerful thing to do is to come back to what did happen What, what worked what didn't work what is happening here that led me to finally just say screw it and binge what or just completely disconnect from my body and when we really have the mindset of like a binge is just a learning opportunity it's how you figure out the missing pieces of the puzzle to have a better relationship with food when you can really believe that, it's so much easier to instead of drowning in the shame and
0: all of that after a binge, just come back to like,
1: okay, what did happen? What was leading to that?
0: Mm, yeah, like this mindfulness aspect, I think, um, it's a it's a game changer in a sense um, because then you can actually like distance yourself even from your judgment and your own criticism, and I think that's why. For me, discovering mindful eating has been such a such a game changer, and I'm still like in the process of implementing it into my routine. But um, tr- like learning about it from different perspectives, from like a Buddhist perspective, but also just total lay person who just wants to have a healthier approach to food. Um, the mindfulness aspect it's very interesting, and I think has a Very positive potential. So, can you explain a bit what mindful eating is supposed to be? What are the principles and how can you implement it into like different aspects of your life or like your uh, weekly schedule? Yeah,
1: something that I noticed about mindful eating is it's something that a lot of people who are struggling with a relationship with food will use against themselves. Like, I just, I'm never eating mindfully. I can never show up and, like, actually do these things to eat mindfully. I'm never actually sitting down for a meal. Mm. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, the end goal is to be able to eat mindfully, but some things can get in the way of that. And so I think it's important to first acknowledge that, that, like, sometimes there yeah, obstacles sure. that need to be worked through in order to be able to follow through with the things that you want to be doing when it comes to mindful eating. But the way I think about it is – If the end goal in a healthy relationship with food is for you to get to the point where you can listen to your body and when you're full, actually feel satisfied and then move on with your life, then mindful eating is just a tool to listen to your body better. And so being in that reflective mindset and being able to sit down and be still and be in a way that is and intentional and you're present for the taste and the textures and the experience that you're having can be something that makes it so much easier to listen to your body to notice what your body's telling you to understand oh like i just ate that and then a half hour later still be in a mindful enough space to notice how your energy is to notice how different foods impact you so you can continue to make choices that feel really good Mm. i feel really supportive of the life you want to live
0: i mean i've never really thought about using it against yourself i guess uh, it might make sense as well um because i think at some point we just kind of uh look for reasons to think that we're not enough or that we're doing something wrong or that ooh, like there is this cause of our our of our suffering and um, and it's usually us doing something wrong which is like we want to have uh, ourselves to blame. And I think for me, I think it's f- for sure that was something like with productivity is to be really focused on that. And I realized actually, you know, having like a productive setup or like won- working in a way that's efficient is great. But I don't want to spend my whole life working. And I think like with food, is, all, it's the same thing. Like, I want to have a good approach to food when I'm eating, but I don't want it to take over my whole mm. life. Like, I don't also, because I, I think a lot of people spend a lot of their time trying to, um, like, figure out just how to, how to diet how to restrict how to like ma- manipulate their body but i think like when you're trying to like you know have a healthier approach you can also do it in a way that might not be so serving to you because you're just overthinking all the time is this is this okay um am i uh, am i treating myself right is this emotional eating i don't know i feel like a lot of at least my thoughts too many of them are sometimes dedicated to food and I I think that's um, another question that I would have for you which is I I think you had a a post on that on Instagram like how can we get food off our minds and uh, make some space for other things that we find fulfilling Mm -hmm. in our lives
1: yes it is something that is so important to understand because when you're thinking about food a lot and it is taking up a lot of space in your mind It can be something that's frustrating and it can convince people that, oh, like I just need to have more strength and more willpower with food and that's the solution to having a better relationship with food. But that is a very counterintuitive or counterproductive thing to do because when you're focusing on food more by trying to control it, it actually contributes to the problem. So what leads to thinking about food a lot and leads to being in this place where maybe your appetite feels insatiable is not getting enough food. And that can also be a mental thing. You might have had a period where you've dieted or restricted, and that can lead to thinking about food a lot more. But then there can be residual pieces of that, even if you're eating enough now that lead to you feeling restricted mentally. And restriction does play a huge role in how our brains process food and how we think about food. So when you can understand that, it can take some of the overwhelm and shame out of thinking about food so much and help you understand that it just needs to be that the restriction piece is acknowledged. If there's a restriction around food, if you feel like There's only so much you can eat and it needs to be budgeted. That really can contribute to thinking so much more about food. I do talk about two other reasons for this though. And it can be emotional and habitual. But pretty much for everyone, at least at some point in their lives, it came back to restriction. Mm. And not getting enough food physically. Because that's what teaches our brains that food is scarce and that we need to be thinking about it all the time. There is a normal amount to think about food. Like I go throughout my day and I think about food because I need to eat and my body's telling me to eat, but it also doesn't feel like an exhausting thing that I can't get out of my mind or I I can't just eat a meal and move on or I can have lots of foods around the house and not really think about them that much. And I think that that's the important thing to understand is that you can get to the point where food is just something that you casually think about instead of use your energy and deplete yourself to think about.
0: Mm. And do you think there are like some um, practices or like little tips and tricks or like things that you recommend to your clients in order to help them figure out th- an approach to food that is non-toxic, but at the same time, not obsessive and not each like side of the spectrum, but it's more or less, you know, at the middle point.
1: Yeah. So what I help my clients do and what I also, the main way I'm working with people now is through, I have a course. And what I do is help people understand, okay, first of all, there's this principle or thing that we need to understand about what's causing you to feel overwhelmed or what's causing you to feel like you're debilitated when you're making a decision of whether or not to have a snack at night or we need to understand what's leading to having an urge to binge in the first place. And so the first thing that I recommend is really having that understanding and then taking that and having enough insights to set a very specific goal. So, a lot of my content on social media, a lot of my course content is all around taking a concept or a, pe- a puzzle piece that you need to figure out and then turning that into a very specific, actionable goal. And the reason I'm such a big fan of this and setting goals that really get to the root of the problem is because a lot of people that struggle with binge eating also struggle with adhd or oh. trauma has been experienced in their life and both of those i
0: never thought about that you're right mm-hmm,
1: it's very common so and when you understand that piece it's so hard for somebody that has been struggling with adhd for example to take this thing that feels overwhelming and they're getting stuck on and really put it into a goal that actually is attainable is really actionable that week and a lot of times the way that we're intuitively trying to set goals isn't actually that helpful when it comes to really breaking a pattern with food or learning how to process emotions or things like that that are really the important pieces so what I recommend For people who are struggling is to take where they're getting stuck and try to uncover the intellectual knowledge enough to set a very specific goal so for example instead of just setting the goal to like i'm going to stop binge eating this week i'm just not going to binge eat this week instead set the goal of like there's going to be five times where i really show up for myself and work through and try to understand What is causing me to feel an urge to binge? I'm going to show up for myself in those moments and these are the things that I'm going to do. And that's something that's so much more attainable. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to put my fist together and white knuckle through this Mm. whole week. Instead, I'm going to really get to the root of the problem each time the urge to binge comes up.
0: Mm, Yeah, I think that's a lovely, lovely Again, it just like comes back to the mindfulness aspect of just like asking yourself, what is the problem now, and how we can deal with that. I think a question like that appeared in my mind right now Mm -hmm. um, because I've been thinking a bit about the diet culture, and uh, I think when I've been talking to my friends recently, you know, there was and still is this Mm -hmm. intermittent fasting being this huge um, trend, um, and like there are a lot of studies about. health benefits of that and like there are so many like fitness influencers or like these health coaches or like podcasters or spiritual leaders and I feel like um there it's it's for sure it's not black or white but I'm curious what is your opinion on intermittent fasting especially now since you are the binge eating coach and and I'm kind of curious um you know knowing the history of your clients and stuff do you think um uh, like it's kind of correlated with with binging and um is it good is it bad can you find like a, a way to to have a healthy relationship with it
1: so it's such a complex topic and there's so mm. much also conflicting information about it There is some research pointing to certain things and then other research pointing to other things. But one thing that I will say is if you are struggling with binge eating in any way, intermittent fasting will work against you Mm. because the way that your mind and your body is working around food is not healthy. If you're binge eating, binge eating is a sign that there's something wrong And so what intermittent fasting can do is it can put this like temporary blanket on like, okay, let's make this go down. Let's put the fire out and it might work temporarily. And that's one thing I really want to point out is that a lot of times for a period, a new diet or a new way of eating might make things easier, but it might just be because you're avoiding food for a larger portion (laughs) of the day. And so- That's not really solving the problem. And so, if you want a blanket for the solution, like you're just like, okay, I need this to like temporarily go away for a couple weeks. Okay, go <laughs> try intermittent fasting. But if you want a freer, healthier relationship with food, intermittent fasting would never be recommended by anyone with a really good understanding of binge eating and why people binge, because for so many reasons. So I would say, if you're binge eating, run away. From intermittent fasting it's not for you right now and that's okay I think really just even if you're just have to tell yourself that like this isn't where I'm at right now this is not the thing that's going to help me have a better relationship with food and get to the point where I feel mentally and physically healthy and when you can accept that and really just say okay that's not for me that's a really good place to be to allow you to do the real work That's going to help you change your relationship with food.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm just like, the reason why it appeared in my mind was that it's kind of hard to distinguish having this eating window when you eat more because, you know, you have a a smaller amount of time to eat. So you're like inevitably going to eat more and then restricting and kind of it's kind of hard to distinguish that from binging and restricting. And that's why I am uh, I was curious whether like um, a lot of people that come to you for help, um, like did they come from fasting? Because it's kind of like a similar thing.
1: Yes, yes, very, very, very often. It is something that I think the majority of my clients have at least attempted for a period of time. And a lot of times it can ultimately be something or like, creates such a bad pattern of binge eating that somebody ends up reaching out to me so it's something that definitely can contribute to the binge eating cycle becoming more dramatic and more present in your life you might have like periods where like okay like I've kind of binge I've kind of dieted And then intermittent fasting can often be the thing that sends people over the edge to having more extreme binges during that eating window and then restricting even more intensely. And that definitely, definitely does not work towards this goal Mm. of being able to trust your body, work with your body, feel confident in what your body's telling you and be able to eat mindfully enough to really honor what your body needs.
0: Yeah, I think... Because it's kind of like again, it's manipulating your body. Like <clears throat> this is for some people, intermittent fasting is what happens naturally because of the way their appetite works. Some people just wake up there and not hungry for breakfast. But I feel like for a lot of people, it's actually manipulating your body. So again, it's not listening to your natural like the cues that your body is giving you, and it's it's eating sometimes past the point where you're full. And and not enough when you're hungry um um so yeah it's, it's like a hard thing to navigate because I've I have been doubling with it especially in like my training I and I've realized that it can be beneficial for sure but I think you really have to be in tune with your body and like listen to it because sometimes it will be like, oh, this is great. I want to eat like that. I want to like have moments when I don't have to digest everything all the time. But like finding the the sweet spot when you can still be like, oh, but this is right now. I, I don't want to do that. um I think that can be extremely beneficial. Also, like I am curious since we're talking about binging and restricting and there are so many different factors that lead to it. I was curious if there is maybe a difference, because I have no idea if there is, but the way that you approach your female and male clients in a way that, you know, if is there a difference in the causes of that um, unhealthy relationship with food? Or is there like a bit of a difference in the things that you recommend or the practices that you recommend? Yeah, I'm just curious if there is any difference, if at all. With
1: any different to clients there's going to be different nuance and different things that are a factor in healing their individual relationship with food so I do want to acknowledge that because it's not just the male female divide but like so many different body types and personalities need to work on different things and what I found is the main difference and I think that's so important for any person who menstruates to understand is that our hormones play a huge role in what our bodies ask for, what our bodies Mm. need. And so I do think that's an important piece that we understand is that hormones play a huge role. And as a pregnant woman, I can definitely (laughs) say (laughs) hormones play a huge role in our digestion, what our body asks for. I mean, pregnancy is a whole other level. My body's (laughs) asking for foods that normally I've like I've hated olives for (laughs) the longest time. Yeah. um, Sound amazing, so things like that are definitely different. But there's different times of the month when you're menstruating that your hormones are going to be different. Or women that are going through menopause that's a whole nother thing. I have clients that have been in that phase, and their relationship with food is changing because so much is changing hormonally at that time. And understanding our hormones and validating what you're going through at different times of the month and understanding. That the couple of weeks before your period, your food needs are going to increase, and if you're extra hungry, that's okay. And understanding that intellectually can be such a freeing thing when I am working with women.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's why. Like, it's so frustrating for me that there is not sufficient amount of like education about like um, the female hormonal system, reproductive system, and because the knowledge of that has been so game-changing. Like, the way you should work out, the way you should eat, the way you should sleep, like, whether you are, you know, we should be with people, whether you should be having sex, like, all those those things, your cravings and the things that you should spend your energy on as a person menstruating, it changes so, so much. Mm -hmm. And since... you know as women we don't know about these things cuz they are not being taught as at least you know in Poland but i know that it's a you know it's a it's a problem all around the world we don't know enough and this knowledge i think could be so helpful and and this uh, stereotype which is true that there are more on average women than men who are struggling with food Maybe there is a reason for that, you know? Like, we, so many of us don't even understand what is going on. And I think, like, when I was, like, chatting with my friends recently, we realized that we have been, like, as kids, we didn't understand completely what is going on with our uterus and with our periods and stuff. And I don't know, it's just, like, so many, like, very, even, like, embarrassing things that that are so stupid. But how would I know No one ever taught me it. Um,
1: And that's a whole, I mean, this is something that I think is so important to talk about. And it also factors into what we were just talking about with intermittent fasting. One of the biggest criticisms I've read about intermittent fasting is that it does not factor in women's hormones. And so a lot of the studies, it's like, okay, this is shown to be way more beneficial for men than it has been for women. And I think when you can validate that and understand, hey, there's something out of my control here that is making it so that these prescriptive diets of this many calories per day are not working for me long-term, it can take away some of the shame and just allow you to understand it intellectually a little bit more. Mm. And... I think that's so important is getting out of the shame and into this place where you're empowered with knowledge and understanding of yourself. But there's there's many other factors that I think also contribute to more women struggling. Like I just see even my husband, for example, like he hasn't been bombarded with the same messages around dieting and making his body smaller as I was growing up. And I think that there are real things there that can create a difference. And there's also in like the trans community, there's a very high level of eating disorders. And I think understanding that the way you are conditioned, the messages that you receive do play a role in you may be dieting and then getting into the cycle of binge eating But there's definitely so many factors to understand. But I think that it can be easy to get overwhelmed and be like, "Ah, there's so many things I need to figure out. But if you're somebody that's struggling with binge eating, I think the most important thing to understand is that the reasons you're struggling are valid. And there's reasons that have nothing to do with you being broken or something being wrong with you. And that is, I think, the number one takeaway, even if we're talking about things like hormones and menstruation, that there's nothing wrong with you. There's just things to understand about yourself.
0: Mm, I really do think that's a a lovely message, I think, to spread out there, that no matter where you are right now um, in your journey with, you know, your body image, your approach to food and uh, mental health, it's like you're not broken and if there is a, a reason you're struggling, it's there probably because of the way our brains work. And that's normal. Everything that is happening in nature, it's natural in a sense. That's uh, my favorite quote from, from right. Uh, I think it was Sapiens, that you cannot say that there's something unnatural about the way that we are living or like you cannot say that you know being gay is a natural if it's happening in nature and it's happening across different species it's natural and i think with food it's it's the it's the same thing um and i wanted to come back to something that maybe we should have uh, been talking about at the at the beginning which is that you know bingeing is for a lot of people a coping mechanism it can be and if you have a coping mechanism you'll find different reasons to like continue and like ignore it the messages out there or ignore your like your thoughts just to keep going because you can become quite attached so I wanted to ask why binging is so harmful on a physical level on a psychological level and why should people struggling with it like, what are the real dangers? Because I think sometimes we are not, like, aware of uh, how harmful our coping mechanisms can truly be.
1: In my opinion, there's so many things that people are already worried about when it comes to their health and the side of gaining weight. And I think in a lot of ways, it's important to understand that your health is not, like, completely in immediate danger when you're binge eating my biggest concern when it comes to binge eating and the consequences that it has is it disconnects you from your body it leaves you in a situation where Hmm. you can have negative health consequences long term because you don't know how to work with your body you don't know how to listen to your body you're not able to give your body exactly what it's asking for And that comes as a result of also not processing your emotions. And our emotions, when we don't process them, don't just disappear. (laughs) They bubble up. And I like to think of it as like they're going to explode at the most inconvenient times. And when you're maybe feeling grief or overwhelm or shame and you're just... Getting home at the end of the day and you're just feeling exhausted emotionally and you're not even ever paying attention to those things. You're just shoving them down, shoving them down. There's so much, only so much shoving that you can do before they explode. And that's important to understand because when you understand the consequences of that and how it can lead to so many unintentional patterns that are destructive, then I think the big piece there is once you understand that, then you're going to be able to really see that, okay, the consequences go far beyond just like me gaining weight or me feeling shame and guilt emotionally. It's like, this can create this pattern of being disconnected with yourself physically and emotionally. And that is something that I don't think that we should tolerate as I don't think we should tolerate being disconnected from ourselves. I think Mm. that's one of, like if I was going to say like the most harmful thing that I think could happen to a human, it's being disconnected from themselves. And I think that's Mm. the consequence.
0: Yeah, yeah. For sure, like uh, most mental health problems I think come from that. Like I think it was Conan O'Brien actually and he said that a nice way to like a depression. It's like anger towards oneself, and I think anxiety or eating disorders. It's just like it always spikes from comes from the place of not trusting ourselves or really wanting, like needing to change who we are because what we are now. It's like we don't we don't want to be with that person, um, and it's kind of like. Yeah. I don't know, self-disappointment, I guess. And I also think that, like, to add on to what you said
1: there, there's also very much a hormonal and physical part, like, what we eat does impact our mental health. And so it can kind of just be this vicious cycle of mental health's not doing well, physical health's not doing well, and they're kind of spinning each other and creating this big snowball. So... It is something that's important to understand.
0: Mm, yeah, that's, I think, something that people forget about too. With, like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose a bunch of weight now and I'm going to be quote unquote healthier. But they don't realize how much anxiety and stress and sadness or disappointment or frustration is going to come from that dieting and then how much actually distress and how much more unhealthy you're gonna be uh like mentally and therefore more physically because you're gonna be like tired and stuff uh and it's again it's kind of like self-harm and it's like a self-harm that we as a society tolerate and stuff like even applaud like the way that you come to a family gathering after like a year of not seeing, you know, each other, and then there is this one family member who loses weight. Everyone is just like applauding, like good for you, good for looking, good for you for looking great. And those tiny messages, I think, are the things that children see from the moment they are, you know, little, so little. And and I think those kind of just applauding those kind of patterns, as what builds that relationship mm-hmm.
1: with food, definitely. I mean, I can, and I've talked about this before, is like not on this podcast, but I remember every time that somebody complimented me for weight loss as a kid. Like those things stuck with me in a way that really influenced me long term. I would just remember the way that people talked about me when I lost weight, even when it was unintentional, even when I was just really into my sports or whatever. I remember and those things stick with you and the messages you get about your body stick with you. And so I do think it's really important just to be aware of how those things have influenced you. How has the way your family talks about weight influenced you? What are the things that you think about yourself and weight and your body because of that?
0: Mm, I think that's a lovely note to end on Um, I hope that this conversation um, was helpful to anyone listening Uh, I want to thank you Krista so much for joining me and sharing all your knowledge and experiences with us Um, I really really appreciate it
1: yes it was such a pleasure to be here I'm so glad that I was able to meet you and love what you're doing with this podcast
0: oh thanks Um, well if the listeners want to learn more about this topic or about you or if they want to reach how uh, where can they find you on the internet or in all the spaces yes. so if you go to krista with the k k-r-i-s-t-a
1: couch which is my last name but also spelled like the furniture <laughs> coaching.com i have a free guide there that talks about the three main causes of binge eating and some things you can do if you notice a pattern there with what's leading you to binge And then also I'm on Instagram and you can find me at binge eating coach. My handle is the same on TikTok too. So if you look up binge eating coach on those places, you'll be able to find me. Oh,
0: well, that's lovely. Um, Go there, check it out. Oh, also before we go, I like to ask my guests, uh, Four recommendations to me, to the listeners, um, something that you've been uh, finding enjoyable or pleasant or informational or educational lately. Um, So what is something that you would like to uh, share with us before you go?
1: Yeah, something I've really learned so much from is the book Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. It's one of my favorite books right now. I've listened to it over the last year on in audiobook form like seven times.
0: Wow.
1: I have probably the whole book memorized at this point. <laughs> but I do think it's helped me so much personally in understanding the ways that I cope with stress, the ways that I process my emotions, the things that have impacted the way I do that. And it's also helped me in the way that I coach my clients. I think it's such an important book, especially for women who have grown up with so much pressure on them to be a certain way, to read and to understand about themselves so i highly recommend that book
0: mm, i've really like now i want to read it um okay so it's burnout uh it's going to be in the episode description as well uh with all the links if you want to find krista if you want to find uh, more about you know the being better pod, everything is there uh, and yeah thank you again so much awesome thank you so much for having me is not really a new or unique observation but really talking about food makes me so hungry and i did sit down to have a big meal after this conversation um and yeah actually it was so good so if you also are feeling pretty hungry right now i would recommend you my new invention Or I don't know if you can call it an invention. I've been talking about that a lot recently. And I don't think I have ever ever said it on the podcast. But I am a big fan of dipping your apple slices in hummus. I know it can be a hot take. But I feel like we can put carrots in it. And carrots are kind of sweet. And like you can put hummus on a lot of things. And a lot of people like combine it with like some cranberries or some jam. And I decided that I'm going to try it uh, with apple slices oh my god i feel like this combination works like it depends on what kind of hummus you have but that's my new invention (laughs) and um yeah speaking of food i wanted to share that i wanted to give you also the opportunity to experience all of the joy And a pleasant surprise that you might experience when when trying that. Um, Thanks again to Krista for uh, joining me and talking about eating and how we can improve our relationship with food. And now I want to talk about my inside of the week. I have not done this segment in a while. and, And I want to share with you what is on my mind right now. So I am a pretty... Organized person, I would say. Like, I really like planning my day, having a to do list. If I'm going somewhere, I'm gonna do a packing list. Uh, I journal, I write down my goals. Um, When I have to confront someone or have an argument, I usually write it down before having it, which is like the person never knows it because it's not like I'm reading it. But before having an important discussion or an interview or something, I always write down my thoughts, write down my plans. Um, When I have like a couple of problems that I need to solve, I use the Eisenhower matrix to divide uh, and rate the problems uh, in terms of how urgent they are and how important they are Um, so it's like a two by two table and you just put the problems in the categories of right if they are urgent or not urgent or important and not important and yeah anyway what I'm trying to say is that I really like like writing down my problems kind of distancing myself from them because I'm not good at remembering stuff and I kind of want to have like a physical I feel like it's easier for me to like solve and kind of get through my life when i can see it and recently it's not really an invention i'm sure that someone else is doing that but i made a curiosity list so you know how people you know we make to-do lists to um, write down things that we want to do and since i am a big learner and i love learning and i'm such a curious person um, I decided to make a curiosity list, uh, which is a list of all the things that I am so curious about and I want to learn. And I really think it's such a cool thing that I started. Um, it's 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 become a habit now. When I am having a conversation and someone mentions a word that I don't know, or like a historical moment that I've never learned about, or just a concept. Or a person or historical figure that I've never heard about. What I do is I go to uh, my Notion app, but you can like keep the list physically or in any app. I just go to Notion as my preferred place for keeping my, well, second brain. And I go there and I write down that. And when I have some free time, I kind of revisit that. And yeah, probably just Google it or watch some videos on YouTube on that when I have some time or when I watch something, when I'm snacking. Um, And um, I can read you some of the positions on the list so right now i have a couple of categories i have history biology tech sociology and politics and philosophy in the category of history i want to learn more about the japanese empire um i want to learn about the history of new zealand especially all about the native people uh, i want to learn about the mayan culture and their inventions and the life in early homo sapiens tribes and and kind of how we developed uh, that is because i was really intrigued by the book sapiens and i kind of want to. learn more about that with biology I really want to learn what crying does to our bodies like physically what are the changes I know a bit about that but I really want to learn more because I'm such a big crier and and I actually am a big fan of it because I feel like every time I have a big cry It is like a weight is lifted off my shoulders and I feel so much better. Um, I really want to learn more about fasting because like I said, it's like not really clear. It has its pros and cons and I really want to dive deep into that and see if this is something for me. I want to learn more about the role of the sympathetic nervous system. And my last conversation with Dr. Heidi Kane, which is, you know, (laughs) the previous episode, so you can check that out, inspired me to explore whether humans are supposed to be monogamous or maybe um it's actually it's not that and we are not you know we're not necessarily penguins that made for life so so i want to learn more about that with tech i want to learn more about cryptocurrencies and you know nfts and all of that because i I think i have a basic understanding of it but actually when i am in a discussion where i would have to explain it to someone i think i would freeze When it comes to sociology and politics, I want to learn more about the universal basic income and um, the privileges and economic privileges that come from being a married person and how single people are a bit discriminated, actually. Uh, I want to learn about the difference between socialism and communism because, again, I kind of get it. But on the other hand, if someone asks me, can you explain it? I would, again freeze and I I hate those situations yeah and there are so many things that I just want to explore and it's not about you know using it for work or for academia or just you know to kind of show off I think I really just I'm so curious about this amazing world that I found myself in and sometimes kind of diving deep into how complex this world is and and exploring kind of our inventions and the amazing parts of what being human is kind of makes me happier and more hopeful about our species and sometimes you know when i'm down or i feel disappointed in humanity or i'm disappointed in myself or um with other people and i'm not feeling particularly great I feel like exploring how actually this world is so amazing kind of um, lifts me up. So, So I really recommend you starting a curiosity list. Um, And I'm sure that from the get go, you will have a couple of points of the things that you would like to learn. Maybe it's like a totally new language or the theory of music or something. Um, But then I recommend you really when you are in discussions and you hear someone using a big word or are talking about a play or like an artist or a work of art, try just writing it down and just coming back to that when you have some time um, and kind of building up. This list of what you want to learn about the world because I feel like our lives here are so short and I really want to get the most of it. So that is it for my inside of the week. I hope that it was at least somewhat interesting and useful. Let me know what you think about it, about the interview and the topics that we discussed today. You can dm us on instagram it's at beingbetter.pod tiktok is beingbetter underscore email is podcast at gmail.com reach out with whatever you want to ask or talk about um and in the meantime please 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 take care of yourself drink that water get some sleep you know stretch a bit take care of yourself if you can of someone else too and i will speak to you in the next episode being Better is edited and produced by Julia Sport. You can learn more about the show and about other work over at our website, beingbetter.info. And the Instagram is at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support us, the best way to do that is by word of mouth. So if you can, please tell your family, your friends and what the hell, also tell your enemies, you know, we don't discriminate on this podcast. So tell them about the show, tell them about why you like it and about why you like the incredibly amazing and very humble host. You can also share it on social media platforms and if you tag us, we'll make sure to reply. Thank you so much for joining us today and I'll speak to you very very soon.